Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Do me for a little loop on this one. Normally, when we have guests, we don't start off with the uh, the hot intro, but here we go. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat football fan, and I'm excited about this one. What about you? I'm excited as well, buddy. And you're right. I just kind of I just kind of went for it. We're doing the full introduction. The guests are a part of it. We're gonna make them feel welcome. We'll do two different introductions here. We've got four people on this one. It's gonna be a good episode. I can feel it in my bones. Uh, but to start here, we've got the councilman back on the podcast. Joe Barnett has has jumped back on with us to wind down our positional preview. And I expect that this might be our most animated episode in the sense of we've got legitimate concerns or at least question marks, maybe I should say. Joe, thanks for jumping back on the podcast. Happy game week. Happy game week to you Beat as well, buddy. Miami. <laughs> Beat Miami. And our second guest, I think we might be, um, this might be his first podcast appearance ever. And if I'm wrong, you can correct me. Uh, But we've got Andrew Hauser on the podcast, who is, I'm going to designate him our offensive lineman specialist. Because I I went to high school with this man uh, at St. Axe. We graduated in 2006 together, where he was a four-year, or maybe you're a four-year, four-year starting offensive lineman. At San X, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this stuff. I know you were elite back in the day. I do remember this. Uh, and then he went off and took his talents to Princeton, the college, uh, where he played offensive lineman for their uh, for that school for four years as well. Andrew, welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. Thank you, Coomer. Happy to be here. Yeah, I was I was only a, a two year starter at X, but uh, yeah, a three and a half year starter at at Princeton. So. Uh, yeah, a lot of time in the trenches and, and happy to talk about the offensive line with you guys today. Yeah, looking forward to your insights. And uh, I honestly think you shouldn't have fact checked that. I think you shouldn't have been honest. And we should have seen <laughs> what type of person would have looked back through the record books to find out that you only started two years and seen how aggressively they came after us online. In that case, I was a five year starter. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at the record books right now. I'm on I'm on GoPrinceandTigers.com. Uh, <laughs> and I, I see your beautiful picture picture up here it's it's great and you know what it doesn't say anything about how many years it says you were a four-year member of the honors list and you led the division one state championship as a senior with a perfect 15 and 0 record uh, and it also said in 2008 you started all 10 games as a junior at right guard and you helped junior running back jordan colbreth lead the ivy league and rank ninth nationally in rushing yardage yeah sounds about right <laughs> now that is an introduction hummer thank you <laughs> Wow. So before we get into the the real meat and potatoes of this whole thing, uh, that is, you know, talking about the Bearcats offensive line, I do have a general offensive line lineman question for you, Andrew, because I notice it with every guy who leaves the NFL. Um, a couple guys come to mind, Joe Thomas, uh, Jeff Saturday, where they leave the NFL and they go from like whatever their offensive lineman playing weight was, which is, you know, in the NFL, it's probably like 350. And then they become these incredibly dashing men after the fact. Did you experience anything like that where it was like, oh, I don't have to I don't have to live the same lifestyle to maintain this this immense size anymore. I can kind of like scale back and and actually be a normal human being again. Yeah, yeah, definitely true. Uh, My senior year, I was, you know, six, three, probably got up to like three, fifteen, three, twenty. 
Um, I was a center my senior year. And I, I will say after the season, I, I dropped weight pretty aggressively. It wasn't, you know, you got some offensive linemen and say, oh, you know, it was so hard to keep on weight and it just melted away. It, that's, that's fake. Um, it's really easy to be fat and keep on weight. Um, so, I mean, I, I did, I, I did, I went from about 320 to 240 by graduation. So I did lose 80 pounds, um, ended up running a marathon in, in 2014. And now I'm, I'm creeping back up to my plane weight. I'm getting fat again, but, um, no, I mean, just blame, it, just blame COVID. That's all you got to do. That's, you just blame exactly. That. You blame so, COVID. For guys, we're going to edit that out because this is really a pitch for the Andrew Hauser P90X weight loss system, how to go from 315 down to 240 in a matter of months. <laughs> That's right. And then slowly put it back on with beer and fried food. <laughs> well, I appreciate you sharing the personal information. It was probably inappropriate by me to even put it on the pod. No, but, no. Um, it's something I get a kick out of. Gentlemen, let's get into um, talking about this offensive line because there's so much, there's basically unrestrained enthusiasm for the Bearcats football team this season with good reason, given how we finished last year, given the elite talent we have across the board at many different positions. Um, it's well-documented the, the NFL type roster, you know, the NFL talent we have on this roster at this point. And you can hear a lot of that summarized through our position series uh, that we've done over the last several weeks but I feel like we have a little bit of a different story when it comes to the offensive line. So to get us started here, Joe, can you give us kind of a synopsis of the, the, the turnover we're seeing at the, at this position, uh, be it left tackle, be it right tackle, and maybe kind of put us just kind of a, a brief synopsis of where we're at, at the offensive line position starting the season. So we actually graduated uh, both of our bookends uh, last season. So we were down our left and right tackle. Uh, as we all know, one of my favorite Bearcats of all time uh, graduated and is now a member of the Cleveland Browns. And uh, we also graduated our right tackle as well. Um, so that kind of left us with a what we thought was going to be the same interior of the offensive line. So we're returning uh, Dylan O'Quinn, Drake, Jake Renfro and, and, um, Vinny McConnell. So as of now, from what I'm hearing in practice, it looks like Dylan O'Quinn is actually moved from left guard to right tackle. And Jeremy Cooper is uh, filling in for him at left guard. And then we have a red shirt freshman, uh, starting at left tackle John Williams will be starting at left tackle this season. So he's a, a redshirt freshman, pretty highly uh, recruited guy. He's actually an aerospace engineering major, which is pretty cool. Um, and then uh, Renfro should be back at center, but he's been dinged up in camp. So uh, lots of changes on the offensive line. Only two spots are staying the same, and that would be center and right guard. Everybody else is is shifting around and coming off the bench. So Joe just alluded to it, but I think the biggest loss on this offensive line is the fact that we lost James Hudson to the NFL. He he was a he did have one more year of eligibility, but decided to take his talents to Cleveland, as they say, and and generally had a a unbelievably successful year, one year of playing at Cincinnati uh, after transferring from Michigan and sitting out a year. 
his his stint at Cincinnati didn't end in the best way. Uh, it actually ended with a targeting penalty at the end of the first half of the Peach Bowl, which led to um, his ejection from the game. And then the offensive line proceeded to be an absolute train wreck in the second half of that game. And which, you know, may or may not have been the root cause for why we ended up losing to Georgia in the Peach Bowl. So replacing him would seem to be priority number one or challenge number one. I actually want to kick it to Andrew and ask a bit about the challenge that you face. Dylan O'Quinn will face seeing as he is moving from guard to right tackle this season. And he's doing that from going from freshman to as a freshman to now as a sophomore being a right tackle. Andrew, can you kind of explain the challenges of, of that type of position switch within the offensive line and how manageable, manageable it might be for a second year player at Cincinnati? Yeah, definitely. And and I think talking about John Williams at left tackle is something we should touch on again at some point. But um, yeah, you know, one of the one of the things I had written down was all the flip flopping that's going on with the positions is is not ideal. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people I don't want to say a lot, but some people when they think of the offensive line, they might think that, you know, all the positions are kind of the same. Right. And, and while certainly left guard is is more similar to right tackle than left guard is to free safety. Um, those are still distinct positions, right? Tackle is different than guard. Guard is different than center. And the left side is different than the right side. Um, so th- there are certainly similarities, but, but, you know, we were talking about Lorenz Metz a little bit and, and, you know, there are certain things that make him a huge liability at left tackle that maybe make him serviceable as a backup at right guard. And so there are certain skill sets that, that, that are different between the different positions. And so when you get a guy going from left guard out to right tackle, I mean, just from the, from the very beginning, his stance is going to be different. What, what foot is up and what foot is back, what hand he puts on the ground is going to be different. There are different steps for every play, right? Whether it's inside zone, outside zone, three-step drop, five-step drop, every play has a, has its own unique set of steps and you memorize those steps. So the steps being a left guard are totally different than the right guard. So you know, hitting a guy is, is a, a transferable skill. Um, you know, taking a pass set is a transferable skill, but so much about these, these positions is, is different. And again, I mean, think about Mets, you got six foot nine, 350 pounds of, you know, sauerkraut and Hefeweizen out on the edge and, you know, guys run right around him and, and, and he's a huge liability, but then you put him in a guard. Now you got this big kraut in a phone booth and, you know, He's, he's only got to operate within, you know, a, a three to five foot area. Um, it, it can change the, the player he is. And so the same goes for a guard moving out to tackle. Um, so Dylan O'Quinn's going to find himself playing in a lot more space. He's going to find himself playing against guys that have a different skill set, a lot more speed, maybe a little bit less power. Think of like the difference between a Jawan Briggs and a MyJ Sanders. So it's, it's a, it's a question mark. Um, you know, it's not something that, that happens overnight. It's not something that everybody can do. Um, so yeah, positional versatility is, is a plus, but it would be much better if the, if the, the next best right tackle, uh, on the team was actually a right tackle and not a left guard. So let me ask you to expand a little bit on that. And, and when you watch, O'Quinn play last season and kind of see his skill set, his natural physical abilities, the quickness, the athleticism. 
is that something you anticipate could translate to the right tackle position fairly easily? Or do you have some legitimate concerns just from the, the raw ability standpoint? I mean, I don't want to say I, I watched all the, uh, all the guys game film. Um, I mean, I know he played offensive tackle in, in high school, but I want to say that was more, maybe a little tight end, but I think that was more of a run heavy um, type of offense. I don't know how much he was getting in a pass set, but I mean, if you look at the guy, he, he looks like he moves well, but he also looks to be on the rounder end of things, as opposed to a James Hudson, who is taller and leaner. I mean, Dylan O'Quinn, he's a put together dude. Um, but I don't know if he's got the, the agility to really kick out and, and, and block a wide five or a seven technique screaming off the edge. Um, you know, I, I hope he can, but it's like I said, you know, it's, it's just a little bit of a different skill set, and it, and it takes different physical and mental tools, um, to be able to do it. So it's, it's a concern. Um, but you know, again, I'm not watching camp film, so I, I, I don't know, uh, indications sound like he's doing well, but it's, it's definitely something that is concerning. So let's make sure don't, put a pin in the fact that we still need to come back to you and talk about John Williams. It sounded like you had some thoughts on him. I do want to kind of pass it over here to Joe. Joe, you've got your most recent article at the Republic of Cincinnati.com. You have been doing your position previews there. You can find all of his past work. Um, very fun reads personally. You made mention of the fact um, that we do have a, a freshman all American center in Jake Renfro who was pivotal and seeing the Bear, the Bearcats turn around their offensive line play last season. It seemed like once he became that starting center for the Bearcats, a lot of our, our, a lot of our problems were solved uh, when it came to the offensive line, and, and we became very effective at that position. And, and it, was, it, it was night and day from what we saw in the 2019 season. Um, however, Renfro has – he's had some challenges in terms of staying in the lineup. Now, when he missed the Peach Bowl, that was an illness. We don't have a lot of details on that front can't really fault someone for getting sick, especially these days. Um, he does also, he has been, he's been knocked up a bit. <laughs> I said knocked up again. Knocked up. He's been, <laughs> he's that been, would be, that would be tough for an offensive lineman to be out there knocked up. <laughs> I continually say that I can't help it, but anyway, enjoy it folks. Um, he's been banged up during camp a bit. I don't have the details on that. If you have them, you can share them. My concern when I read your article was the fact that, yes, if Renfro is playing, we have no question marks at the center position. He was a stud his freshman season. His backup though is our left guard, I believe. Um, right guard. Right guard, I'm sorry. So his backup would, would be Cooper sliding over from the right, right guard position into that center spot. That, that seems a bit concerning. Also, given the fact that Renfro does have some injury challenges already this season, and it's already a position that we're not the strongest at. So take me through your thoughts on that. So it was actually McConnell that was uh, handling the center duties um, for most of camp, pretty much. Uh, so, yeah, that that is a pretty big problem, because if your backup center is coming in and he's supposed to be playing next to you on the offensive line, then you have to go to your second best right guard as well, which right <laughs> now is Lorenz Metz. And we all know how that's been so far. Um so I know that O'Quinn or um, Renfro was banged up early in camp, but from what I read, he, he was back all of last week and the offensive line looked significantly better when he was under center. It looks like he gets the ball out quicker to Ritter and Ritter's, I think it seems to be more centered. 
So Ritter can actually look downfield and start getting into his reads earlier. And I think that's where you saw that, that big step forward last year was Ritter was able to get his eyes up sooner and digest the defense and, you know, go through his reads. But yeah, if, if Renfro continues to be banged up and out of the lineup, we're going to be basically to our second best option at two spots right off the bat. And that's not ideal. Um, so it'd be nice if uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was Gerhardt was, was looking at some snaps at center as well as uh, Landon Fickle was taking some snaps and Colin Woodside. So if one of those guys can step up in the next few weeks and kind of solidify themselves at the backup center position, that'd be huge. All right, Andrew, I'm going to give you a chance here to uh, share your thoughts on John Williams. It sounded like you wanted to get back to that. He's the guy who's going to be replacing, um, you know, arguably one of the top two players on the team last season in James Hudson. So tell me yeah. what you want to talk about with John Williams. Yeah. I mean, real, real quick. I just want to echo uh, what the councilman was saying there about uh, the center position. Um, I mean, I trans I transitioned from guard to center my senior year. Uh, snapping a ball is not something you learn overnight. If you, you can do it, but you're not going to be great at it on a, you know, a short period of time. So McConnell moving over his snaps, aren't going to be as crisp. They're not going to be as fast when he gets tired. They're not going to get back there the same way. Um, and, and, and exactly to your point, when you bring the right guard over as your backup center, now you got backups at two positions. And again, positional versatility is good, but you want your backup center to be a center. So I uh, just wanted to say, you know, I, I totally agree with all of that. Um, as, as for the left tackle position and, and Williams, um, you know, freshman coming in and I, you know, I know he's, he's kind of a red shirt with the COVID year, whatever you want to call it, but, um, you know, it's really tough for freshmen to, to come in and make an impact. Um, I think offensive line is probably the second most difficult position for, behind quarterback for a freshman to, to make an impact. And, you know, I know you got the DJ ukulele down at Clemson and the, the rattlesnake guy out in Oklahoma. And, you know, they, they did well, right? Uh, and even Renfro last year at center did well. But those guys are, are, are the exception that, that proved the rule. So definitely uh, an uphill battle for him at, at left tackle. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just going to be tough. Uh, between him being a freshman, I mean, I don't know how old he is, but, I mean, I remember I showed up in college at 17 years old. I'm going – day one, I'm going up against 23-year-old guys you know, six years in a college weight and conditioning program. And let's say John Williams is 19. He's going to be going up against 22, 23 year old dudes. Three, four years difference in a college weight and conditioning program is significant. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's something that, that I really want to want to keep an eye on. Again, you're replacing an all conference guy, you know, who's in the NFL. So um, that I think is, is probably my number one concern. Um, and it'll, it'll be interesting, you know, with his backup, James Tunstall, the, the transfer, um, if, if William struggles at all, I'm not saying he will, but if he does, um, will you see those guys start to split reps uh, because you have kind of a, a more veteran guy who's taken a step up in competition, but he's got a lot of college reps under his belt, whereas Williams has zero. So uh, I think that's something to definitely keep an eye on. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a ton of new faces on the line, right? And it's not even so much that they're all new faces, but it just seems like the unit itself, given all, given the, the switching of positions, uh, given the fact that you are replacing, you know, the tackle positions, both of them with guys who, who left after graduating uh, or moving on to the NFL. It just, I feel like that's a unit where anytime I hear 
anybody of, of any sort of knowledge talk about the offensive line. It, it's, it's continuity. It's the ability to have chemistry and a, and a unit that's been working together in their positions for multiple years. That's obviously more difficult in college when you're consistently graduating guys and seeing guys move on. So you're always going to deal with some level of, of movement around there, but it seems like a very young offensive line and especially inexperienced when you talk about working together. Um, this just feels like an incredibly important position. So any I'm flashing back to two years ago where the offense, the defense continued to be top, top notch, perform well. Des Ritter really struggled his sophomore season. And a lot of that could be chalked up to a lack of protection and continually seeing breakdowns against AAC defenses. And it feels like it really does put a limit on what your upside is as an offense. If your offensive line can't continually block flash forward, here we are in 2021. And I've read multiple people online who have been at camp, be it Dan Horde, um, probably the folks from, from Bearcat journal, Chad Brendel allude to the fact that the defensive line had an incredible day and they've been dominant at camp. And I feel like that can read as, great are my Jay Sanders, the defensive line, like they're coming to play. They're going to dominate. That could also go the other way of our offensive line is struggling. Um, who anyone can chime into this, but I am curious about your overall concerns about what a compromised offensive line unit could mean for the Bearcats high aspirations this season. I mean, if, if the offensive line ends up being bad, it's going to do, it's going to make all these pundits on Twitter who keep ranking us in the 23s, 22s, 21s look really, really smart because we're not going to go in and probably beat an Indiana team. We're not going to go in and beat a really good Notre Dame team. You know, so right off the bat, it's going to justify those, those people's opinions. But I think that when you're looking at this, I'm hoping that, you know, the move of O'Quinn to right tackle is more of a, of, you know, trust and fickle and the, in the coaching staff saying, all right, he is better suited here because we have these players who have the ability to hold up the left side of the line. And it's not just kind of, you know, trying to mix and match and, and poke holes and, and like, you know, you're putting a, a finger in one hole and then water comes out of another one, you know? So that's really what, what my hope is for this is that, you know, it's fickle in them identifying the talent that they have on the roster and putting guys in a position that they know they can succeed in and because like you mentioned it, O'Quinn was great last year. So by moving him over, maybe that's a, that's a better way of saying, all right, we know that Lorenz is, is, uh, is a, uh, is a guard as a guard, but he's still, he's a, he's a liability. So you need him. You need, you need more strength on that right side. If something were to happen to McConnell and he goes down. So you're kind of maybe being able to shoulder some of, some of that weakness if in the depth chart there, while you're, you're trusting that the guys on the other side can come up and do the job. Yeah. And I don't want to, I, I can already, I can hear myself with this negative slant and it's really coming from a place of, of worry or anxiety and just a general sense of nervousness about this being the one position that has some real question marks and it's okay for a team to have some question marks, Joe, not this team. <laughs> that's right. Joe, <laughs> go ahead and go ahead and, and kind of add to what, uh, to what Hummer's thoughts were there and give us some of the, the glass half full perspective on this offensive line unit. So that was exactly exactly what I was going to chime in on. On the other side of the coin, these guys are going against one of the best defensive line fronts in the country. So you hear it on "Let It Fly." Iron sharpens iron. So yeah, maybe these guys looked pretty bad in camp, 
but they're going against an Indiana caliber defensive line. They're going against a Notre Dame caliber defensive line. So they're going to have a couple weeks uh, against significantly lesser competition, complete and total offense to Miami of Ohio on that comment. But, <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to be going against a lower level of competition and that's going to be good for those guys to get these game reps and get their nerves out and get the coaching staff feeling better about these guys. They can tool around a little bit these next two weeks and, Hopefully we'll get uh, things figured out before we head to Bloomington. I disagree with the ironing out comment there, though, because uh, if we learned anything from last year, style points do matter. So these need to be some serious blowouts against Miami. <laughs> in, in Murray oh, State. oh and, and I don't <laughs> think that's going to be a problem at all, because if Jerome Ford gets past the linebackers, it's over. So, but, you know, there's some opportunity here to tinker around a bit and, make sure that we're confident with our starting five going forward. Now, no offense to Princeton university, Andrew, but I feel like during your, during <laughs> your time, question. and this is, and this is, <laughs> this is not meant to be uh, derogatory to any of the quarterbacks you played with. No offense to your kids. I, no I suspect, <laughs> I suspect you were not blocking necessarily for someone uh, of Des Ritter's caliber from an athleticism standpoint. And so what I'm, what I want to ask you about is how does, how does Des Ritter's ability as a runner help protect the offensive line, right? Like this is an offense yeah. that is, can, has been built around the run game. Uh, we've seen it with, with uh, Warren, we've seen it with Dokes and now we'll see it with Ford this season, but also Ritter himself is running, you know, 10 times a game or so. How does that running quarterback um, aspect of his game help protect an offensive line like this that's going through some transition? Yeah, I think in in the run game, it's it's just another element to the run game that makes your offense successful. But you know, when it, when it comes to the passing game, a mobile quarterback can definitely um, cover up a lot of of blemishes um, because maybe you know the the left tackle gets beat like a drum. Um, but you don't know it because Des Ritter is able to get away from it. Whereas, um, you know, a, a slow quarterback at Princeton would have gotten decapitated. Right. Um, so no, it, it can definitely, uh, it can definitely hide some of the blemishes. Um, mobile quarterbacks are, are great in that sense. You know, it gives another element. I can tell you, you know, having played, you know, tackle guard center, it, it also, it also can be tough because, um, they, they are so mobile that they like to move around. Sometimes they move around a little bit too much. And so you think your quarterback is you know behind you and suddenly he's bolted the pocket and you're blocking your guy to the left and your quarterback ran to the left and you block your guy right into the quarterback. So that can be kind of an unintended consequence of, uh, of having a mobile quarterback. But no, I mean, mobile quarterbacks are, are definitely an asset. Um, and yeah, it, it does have, have the ability to mask some of the issues that an offensive line has in pass protection. So yeah, these first two weeks of the season are definitely an opportunity to um, get one blow teams out, right? Hummer, uh, get all those style points, style win points, by baby. 50. Um, but definitely, you know, it, it gives you an opportunity to, to switch left tackles for a series, um, switch right guard, you know, right. You know, whatever, just, just mix stuff up um, because you, you do have that luxury a little bit. So I, I would expect to see that a lot the first two weeks. Um, so don't, you know, if you see that, don't, don't think it's because someone's having a bad game. Um, you got to get your best five out there regardless of where they are. And so the coaches are going to be uh, trying to see that against, you know, a live defense rather than in practice. So 
yeah, I, I expect to see some, some shuffling and, uh, yeah, we'll see what, what, uh, they end up with come IU in a few weeks. Yeah. And, it, and look, here's the upside too, is the fact that if this unit plays well, it's built around a red shirt freshman and two sophomores on the line. And these are, these are the building blocks for an offensive line that into the future should develop and only get better as they get more experience and, and more weight training, as you were alluding to. I mean, you were making the comparison for offensive line. And I think it's a great one where being a, a, an 18, 19 year old boy for, for, uh, for all intents and purposes versus being turning into that 22, 23 year old who's an absolute man at that point, grown ass man. Like a grown ass man. And I feel like you see the same thing. If you're comparing it to basketball, it's why I'm so excited about the basketball team. And I'm not going to hijack the, the segment here with, with basketball <laughs> talk, but the fact that, you know, the Bearcats have Abdullah Doe in the front court, playing with Odie Oguama, playing with Hayden Koval, who are these like 22, 23-year-old dudes. Maybe not Oguama, but like these are guys with a lot of experience who have been through college-level weight training multiple years. Going against big men, you know, 18, 19-year-olds, I think that's a huge advantage. So feels like that in, in the offensive line space is, is something to pay attention to. It's why we might be naturally at a bit of a disadvantage, but it's also the reason there's a lot of upside on the line itself. I mean, we do have the monster factory though. Don't let's not discount the monster factory. True. True. So, uh, any, any final thoughts here, Andrew, uh, or Joe on the offensive line as a unit and, and maybe what to, to look for if you're a fan watching the team these first couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be a Debbie downer. I'm not here to piss on anyone's parade. Um, you know, I, I will say I I'm intentionally being a little bit glass half half full, half empty, whatever the, whatever the pessimistic one is. It would be empty. Um, yeah. Yeah. The empty one. Um, because, <laughs> you know, there's, there's so much optimism around the team and, and I want to set my sights a little bit lower so I don't get my heart broken. Um, so I will, so I'll, I'll, I'll caveat you know, some of my seemingly negative comments with that. Um, but I will also say that there are some legitimate things to look out for. Um, this is the only position group on the entire team other than maybe punter uh, that, that gives me a little bit of pause when I think about them. And, and I think, you know, like I was saying, you know, the offensive line is one of the, the most important position groups on the team. So not, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather us be sitting there being like, God, you know, the tight ends real big weak spot of this team, you know, um, because I think you can have a really successful offense and, and, and successful team with a subpar tight end room. Um, I don't think the same can be said for the offensive line. So um, some legitimate concerns, but I do want to say I'm intentionally setting my sights a little bit lower with the the full expectation uh, to to be pleasantly surprised. So um, yeah, let's let's keep an eye on how they do the first few weeks. Expect a little bit of rotation, and um, just hope they lock in on that best five uh, come IU week. So um, I'm checking my map here. I'm checking your GPS coordinates, and yep, you're definitely from Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, why? Well, what did it show? Set it, you know, preparing yourself for being hurt. Like you. Oh yeah. <laughs> Setting the bar low, preparing, preparing myself for, pain. for heartbreak. That's yep, right. sounds about right. Cincinnati fans are like the the girl in high school that always gets her heart broken by the bad boy. I mean, it's just she she knows what she's getting herself into, but she can't help herself but get too excited. I've got a thing for bad boys. I mean, always have. Sorry, always not will. sorry. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, I I'm, actually, I'm. Go ahead, Joe. I was gonna say, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat. Uh, I'm gonna 
lean a little like an ounce over the cautiously optimistic side of the glass uh fickle and crook have pretty much shown every year that they're able to put together a solid five uh even a couple years ago and the offensive line wasn't great i think ritter's shoulder was more of a limitation than everything so i think we'll be fine on the offensive line but it's definitely going to be the one thing that holds us back from running the table if if that's the case so um but in Fick we trust, baby. In Fick we trust. When in doubt, in Fick we trust. Joe, I think you hit the nail on the head there at the end, which is the fact that my concerns for the offensive line are in the context of can we run the table and go undefeated? Can we go into Indiana, go into Notre Dame, and win those two games? Because I feel like if if there's anything that's going to hold us back this season, those are the two games that you're most worried about. And I feel like being exposed on the offensive line is how we could potentially end up losing those two games. In terms of holding up against the American Athletic, I still feel pretty confident regardless. Like I I feel like our defense is even more overwhelming coming into the season somehow, which is remarkable to think when when you given the results of last season, maybe I'm jumping the gun there when you consider we're changing defensive coordinators, maybe I'm jumping the gun when you consider some of the players we lost uh, this past season, but I feel like the talent level is is quite obscene. Uh, when compared to the rest of the American athletic and then, um, you know, offensively, there's a lot of talent on that side of the ball outside of the offensive line. And that's not to say we're not talented on the offensive line. That's just to say there's more question marks there. So um, all in all, I guess I'm relatively optimistic. I am just concerned about how this holds up against the the best two teams we're going to play this season. Andrew, I appreciate you jumping on here and being our offensive lineman specialist for the season. Best believe I'm going to be calling you again this season to get you back on uh, when there are things to talk about as it pertains to the offensive line or maybe just football team in general. I know you love this team. You follow them closely, and, and I appreciate you jumping on here with us. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully if we're talking offensive line in the future, it's it's nothing but good things. And, um, yeah, happy to be on. And, uh, yeah, if you need me again, let me know. Otherwise, I'll be listening to the pod. I'll be watching the games. And uh, go Bearcats. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, hopefully next time we hit you up, it's more like a man. Can you believe how wrong we were about being concerned about this unit? Look at us. Yeah, oh, damn. Guys John Williams is great. Look at us eating yeah. crow. Yeah, he's would, he's playing off to. he's playing offensive line better than John Williams scores a Star Wars movie. <laughs> hey oh, oh god, <laughs> yeah, brutal, terrible. References. All right, Andrew, <laughs> take it easy, my friend. Right. We'll we'll be in touch, sir. Thank you. All right, sounds good, guys. See you later. See you, buddy. All right, boys, that was a good segment there on the offensive line. We are doing this a little bit out of order because we were supposed to talk about the position maybe we had the most questions about last. We're not necessarily doing that since we already talked about the offensive line, but we still need to talk about the linebacker position, which we did not talk about last week when you dropped your article, Joe, because of the fact that um, Hummer and I took our talents to Lake Cumberland last weekend, and it was a good time. Let's move on, though, and kind of get a synopsis from you of where we stand with the linebacker position. So the biggest reason I waited to do the linebackers until later is because I wanted to hear what kind of base defensive alignment we were running in camp. And it sounds like we're sticking with the 3-3-5 as a base, maybe with a few wrinkles. So what was originally going to be maybe a question mark is now a position of strength, which is a great problem to have after uh, our discussion on the offensive line there. So we did lose 
a Bearcat legend in Jarrell White. Uh, he graduated. He took his talents to Saskatchewan in the CFL. Uh, hopefully he does well up there. I loved uh, him. I just he, absolutely loved cheering for him. He's a great dude. Great player. Um, local. He, just let, he let, yeah, local guy just lacks size to be an NFL linebacker, but I think we need to do a segment gr- on, uh, Bearcats in the CFL or ex Bearcats in the CFL. I feel like we could fund, we could, we could start a whole team. Yeah, we could definitely, uh, get Zach Kolaris and some other guys in there and get after it. Um, where the linebackers stand is we're returning Darian Beavers, who's going to rock the zero this season. He looks to be the body of an NFL size linebacker. So he's one of those guys that we might see getting drafted in Vegas this year. Can I and, quickly interject on Beavers? And yeah. it's the fact that during the off season, they, they early on in training, they were posting like who ran the fastest during practice. And that just means like who reached a, a max speed that was faster than everybody else. And usually you would see like Trey Tucker or Alec Pierce and these wide receivers and these skill position guys. Beaver showed up on those top fives a couple of times and he's a massive, you know, weak side linebacker who's running around at what, like 240. So quite the freak athlete. It seems he is. I think he's playing at 255 this year, which makes it oh. even more ridiculous. <laughs> oh, um yeah, and then uh, he also posted some dunk videos over the over the summer as well. So he's definitely an athlete. Another another one of those guys that went to UConn and found found his uh, golden parachute, ripped the cord, and found his way at Cincinnati. There we go. And then uh, middle linebacker Joel DeBlanco, uh, most famous for the fake punt last year against ECU. So he has a twenty nine yard rush under his. Uh, under his stats so he played great last year uh, no no worries there and then uh filling in for Jarrell White we have Ty Van Fossen who's gotten a lot of run in the past couple of years uh he had an interception in the military bowl a couple of years ago and I think he had a fumble recovery in the peach bowl as well but it looks like one of the three amigos who were recruits last year uh, Deshaun Pace is going to be pushing him for playing time. So we've got kind of like a 1A, 1B situation at the sniper linebacker position. So outside of Pace, the three guys you just laid out there, you've got Beavers as a guy who's taking advantage of that extra year. You've got uh, DeBlanco, who is also a grad, a graduate senior. Do I have that right? Yep, he, Take, he opted back in as well. Opted back in. And then you've got Ty Van Fossen as a redshirt junior. So immense amount of experience um we just talked about the offensive line where we lost a lot of experience and a lot of skill and we were replacing it with younger players on the linebacker position it's it's quite different right like you lose a guy like Jarrell White but we're replacing it with a with Ty Van Fossen who's a redshirt junior and then an up-and-coming young guy sophomore Deshaun Pace who you know tell me a bit, a bit more about him what are you hearing from camp um you know how how what's the what's the word on Pace so Pace is a little more athletic than Van Fossen, and he was a much high. He was a pretty highly regarded recruit. He was one of those guys that Fickle really wanted last year. He wasn't initially penciled in to be a guy that may be getting a lot of snaps, but he just showed out in camp and found his way up the depth chart. So I would be surprised if we didn't see a lot of him in the first two weeks of the season. Man, I'm just you look at the depth chart and the the defense is so experienced 
they're they're they've got years of experience they've got explosiveness they've got um it's just it's terrifying if you're if you're another team especially like in the american athletic conference and i know there's a lot of really fun offenses um you know smu's got a lot of expectations offensively um ucf i'm sorry central florida obviously thinks that they're um they've got the best quarterback <clears throat> maybe they don't um let's do a correction on that but this defense it just continues to blow my mind that a team that loses guys uh like like wiggins like forest they they're they're replenishing with with equal or i would just say equal talent and uh and just has the same exact level of expectations going into the 21 season yeah and i think one of the biggest things we're going to see is a lot of new wrinkles from uh mike trussell so i think he took the defense that luke fickle and marcus freeman put together and he's going to throw some wrinkles in uh, i've been hearing that they've been rushing uh wilson huber who's a senior converted tight end to a linebacker he's been playing kind of as like a rush end in practice and having a lot of success so there's just another guy that you know isn't going to be starting but he's probably going to make an impact this season so where we had a position group that i wasn't sure what the initial layout was going to be now we're like eight deep and maybe nine deep of linebackers. So, you know, you're going to be rotating guys in and out and there's not going to be much of a drop-off. So who's going to, who's going to score points on this defense in the American? I don't know. Nobody. Let me ask you kind of a, if we're taking a step back here and sort of just defining roles within the linebacker positions, you hear, you hear about the sniper position consistently. Can you add more, I don't know, detail about that position and the expectations of the guy who's operating out of that sniper role. Um, you know, Jarrell White obviously was was in the operating in this position. Van Vossen's expected to be there this season. How is the sniper linebacker position operating? Like what's the primary uh role within the defense for that specific position? So the sniper's more of like a coverage type linebacker. So almost more of a safety it's like a safety linebacker hybrid. So I know like in the NFL, you see a lot of like big safeties that come up and play linebacker, but the sniper is more of like an actual size safety that'll play linebacker. So they're usually sure tacklers, but they're not quite as big as like a guy like Beavers. So it gives them that opportunity for more coverage, you know, especially against all these spread offenses in the American. So I think you did a good job explaining why we're talking about linebackers so late, but I'm going to clearly reemphasize this. We're talking about this position group later and, and the concerns that we identified with Joe was more of worse, was more schematic and more attributable to the overall transition we saw with the defensive coordinator. I think more than anything else, it's, it's another emphasis on the fact that this roster in its entirety is very very good position by position when you break this team down and you look at the the players we have um going from wide receiver to quarterback to tight end to running back to the defensive line to the linebacker position and certainly the secondary there are essentially no question marks we have a, a team full of experienced high performing athletic you know 
all in guys. That is why we have top 10 expectations this season. And it's why we all as fans are pulling for an, an, another undefeated regular season that with, without any sort of chicanery or, or shenanigans from the college football playoff committee would result and should result in a playoff appearance for the Cincinnati Bearcats football team. We legitimately have one position group that has some question marks because of the transition we're going through from players who departed and from younger players taking their place. This is going to be a ridiculously exciting season for Cincinnati Bearcat football fans. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, if you guys get a chance, if you go to 18stripes.com, unfortunately, this is a uh, Notre Dame website. They are absolutely swooning with love for Marcus Freeman, but they do a really, really good job of breaking down his entire scheme and how he uses linebackers and how the defensive line is, is different under, underneath of him. Uh, and so I'm really hoping that we, we keep some of those elements there. Cause it does like, I, I, I think that's, if I had to put a like we're talking about question marks about the offensive line, the question mark for me on the defense side of the ball is the defensive coordinator. Yeah, it is. It's an, for us, it's a new, it's a new man in charge. Is his philosophy the same? Are we going to see personnel groups that are the same? You know, what, what is going to change um, from, from the style that we're used to seeing where we have, when we have three man up front, we have a really aggressive three man front where they're trying to slant the gaps or trying to create confusion or trying to get into the backfield. Right. What are we going to do when we have four man up in the four man front? Are we still going to do that same type of stuff? I think that's a great point, Hummer. You know, I, I think coming coming in the middle of the week, we're dropping this episode that's sort of rounding, you know, winding down and wrapping up our positional previews uh, for the Bearcats football team. In the middle of the week, we'll drop an episode that sort of touches on our overall expectations for the team. Uh, obviously, our big our biggest concerns, maybe a game by game breakdown of what our expectations are, and um, and talk about the overall upside of the roster. So I'm. I'm nothing. I have nothing but excitement at this point. It is like Joe said at the beginning of the podcast. It's game week, baby. It's game week. Beat Miami is all I got to say. Cats by 90. <laughs> Let's leave it there, buddy. Cheers, boys.